0: the house show for over 19 weeks the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts ladies and gentlemen the retro network proudly presents to you the trios tag team champions of the world the masked library kevin hellions sweet maddie treats and the Educator
1: of Excellence, collectively known as The House Show.
0: Welcome everyone to another edition of The House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Matty Treats, and I am joined by my Trios Tag Team Partners, Uh, To my left today is the Educator of Excellence. Educator, how you doing?
2: Oh, baby, it's the dog days of summer as we're tiptoeing into August here and getting ready to finalize plans to get back to school and still uh, pounding away doing my uh, uh, driving lessons through the driving school that I'm doing some uh, fun money for. And so big show today to talk about. Uh, Amazing, amazing card. And uh, looking forward to getting your guys' perspective on all the matches, the storylines that were going on, and the uh, behind the scenes of uh, Bret Hart's supposed last 30 days with the company. So,
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating time, obviously, for the uh, WWF at the time, uh, now WWE, of course. So uh, very interesting uh, pay-per-view. I think we can all agree on that. A lot of moving parts going on. A lot of different faces, you know, the, the gang warfare still going on, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of, this is a very interesting pay-per-view for a lot of reasons. Without a doubt. Um, for storyline-wise and personal, what's what's going on and, and what happened that day. Uh, and to my right, the master Library, Kevin Hallians. Kevin, how are you doing?
3: Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, you're right, it's an exciting pay-per-view, but I am ready for it can't wait for us to go over there's there's a lot on the show this is a packed packed show um with the two hour into three hour pay-per-views now this one you know i felt better with being three hours as compared to ground zero
0: absolutely and because of the packed show i i feel like we we got to talk about the elephant that's also in the room making the the room feel a little packed is uh we're on a new feed we're on a new podcast for you guys hey the house show podcast feed uh thank you guys hopefully you have switched over of course as the retro network continues to bloom um and grow and grow and grow uh we needed to uh kind of uh you know get a little get a little leg room i guess for for the show so uh uh thank you for joining us joining us if you're on the house show podcast feed uh i don't know is this still going on the mega feed kevin do you know what's exactly going on with
3: it as far as i know but we also we do take these uh, a little bit in advance so stuff could change by then but i mean check the retro network feed check the house show feed check our social media we'll keep you up to date
0: yeah absolutely and of course um go check out the other podcasts as well of course they have their own feed with you know Wiz- wizards and uh, sequel quest and Uh, the TRN. I think the TRN show is staying on the original feed, if I I believe. So that's how it's all working. But, uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, thank the Retro Network for everything they are doing for us. You know, I I brought it up to them. They knew that I was moving uh, to a new place. So they wanted to coincide, you know, help with the moving costs and everything. So, you know, really, really nice. Made
2: sense. Sounds about right.
0: Good. I really hope, though, that When, you know, when, uh, you know, Jason and and Mickey were were packing things up, they that they packed their toilet
3: paper or some T-shirts.
0: Well, Wizards does sell T-shirts.
3: That's not what they're intended for. That's what 90s. That's what 90s comics are intended for. That's not what their shirts intended for. Uh, Biodegradable, As long as it flushes. Yeah.
0: So not only is the feed our biggest news, but Mr. Mass Library, we're having a little contest for the show.
3: We are. We have some, some cool things to put together for it. Uh, there will be an In Your House DVD set. There's a beautiful piece of Steve Austin artwork. And uh, are we throwing in anything more? Or is that it for it?
0: The only thing I think you will be throwing in is a bunch of Taylor Swift references for this show, because this is the Bad Blood episode.
3: That's right. Count them all, kids. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) How (laughs) many do you
0: think? Okay, let me let me ask you, Educator. I'm going to set the over/under at five point five Taylor Swift references from the Masked Library. Do you think we get more than five point five references?
2: Oh boy, this is tough. Uh, So six or more, basically. I got. I got. I think we're going to go with the over on this one. Going to go with the over.
0: I'm going to put a drop in. Um, and it's gonna be just Taylor Swift saying now we got bad blood whenever you make a reference Kevin just so you know can I bet on
3: how many references I make
0: no because you control the narrative oh, all right I was gonna guess. I think we'll be I think we'll be disappointed if you make zero references oh well, true I
3: was gonna guess 22
1: now we got bad blood. Be a
0: long shell I was gonna <laughs> I hate you so much I was gonna guess 1989 now we no educators not. completely right. so, lost
3: <laughs> for the contest though back to that
0: yeah, yeah how do you how do you win this contest oh by the way the artwork is a rob sham shamburger i think's his name rob shamburger it's wonderful
3: um we'll put up the pictures of the artwork as well so for the contest you must be following us at trn house show that is facebook twitter instagram Every follow on one of those accounts gives you one entry, and then we'll put your information into a randomizer. I'll message, and if we need to uh, follow each other to DM, if we're not already, then we'll figure that out once we contact the winner.
0: Yes, so if you want to win this contest, slide into Kevin's DMs, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. What a
3: contest. This contest is not valid on TikTok. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, do not. Yeah, well, we don't have a house show TikTok, or do we? No, we do not. I was gonna say delete that. If we <laughs> wouldn't, it be funny if we had a house show TikTok in the. It was the one social media that the educator was running. <laughs> like he was just all over the TikTok. Not gonna show.
3: happen. He's doing dances and lip syncing to announce our new episodes. Nope. Yeah. No. Nope. I think that would be fun.
0: Um. So like I like I mentioned, guys, I do have to t- kind of go over something a little a little confession here. Um. As I found out, as I told you guys on, you know, the previous show, you know, always on a previous show, always pack that, uh, that toilet paper, have that be one of the first things. Well, I'm in the new place now and I've actually had a chance to, in you know, uh, enjoy the bathroom, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just, w- there's just one issue that I, I'm coming up with and that is the, um, the toilet's a little too high for me now i'm an i'm an average man i am an average height man okay uh you guys are a little taller than i would uh you guys are like the my my uh my towers of destruction if you will uh next to me and i'm like your harvey whippleman uh, uh little uh little manager here i mean uh you guys are both over six feet tall and you can't teach that and i'm under six feet and uh When I'm sitting on the throne, if you will, my, um, yeah, my legs are just kind of dangling in the breeze, if you will. I'm not getting, I'm not getting the, uh, not not getting my feet on solid ground.
3: I'm picturing, I don't know if you're aware, if you guys are aware of it, but, uh, Lily Tomlin, the comedian used to do a character where she was a little kid in a giant rocking chair, rocking back and forth and her feet dangling off there. That's what I'm picturing, but you on the toilet for it. You're telling oh, yeah. stories too, for some reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, but just so you guys know, I did go out and purchase a uh, squatty potty.
1: Nice, you
3: did.
0: Ooh. Uh, or or a potty squatty. I don't know. Is it squatty potty? Potty squatty. Whatever it is. Um. Yeah. It's very interesting to um to have your knees in your chest
3: mm-hmm. as you to the mm-hmm. Changes the dynamic.
0: It really does. It, it it's fascinating. I don't know if I like it yet or not. I'm not used to it. My only problem is I, I feel like once I get used to it, it's going to feel weird when I don't have it with me. Like when I go to a wrestling event or, uh, you know, if I go to a WrestleMania, I mean, will they let me bring that into the venue?
2: I'm guessing not. Unfortunately, you're just going to have to deal with that period of adjustment. Maybe and over time, you know, it'll just
3: become second nature. Maybe they'll create a collapsible one. You can just fold it up put it in your pocket. Or an inflatable one that you could blow up and use. That's going to be a good sound from a public restroom. No one will be suspicious at all. (laughs)
0: That's disgusting. That's (laughs) disgusting. All right, I'm going to put a pin in that one. Uh, We're going to end it there. Why don't we get right into Bad Blood? Because like we said earlier, we got a lot of information to kind of go over. Um, uh, just a, you know, you know, an overstuffed uh, pay per view. So let let's um. So the date is October fifth, nineteen ninety seven. We're in the beautiful city of St. Louis, Missouri. We're at the Kiel Center. Twenty one thousand one hundred and fifty one is the official attendance for this show. How packed did this building look? I mean, we've been talking about jam packed everything. They were stuffed in that arena, and I think it's kind of jarring when you watch wrestling now, and we're talking about social distancing, uh, of course, for our times, um, and there's no crowds. And then seeing 21,000 people watching this event, what did you think, Educator?
2: This is just proof that one of the biggest dynamics that makes an effective wrestling show is the crowd and the crowd involvement, the crowd interaction, and this crowd, just like we have discussed on the the two Canadian in your house shows, have had such a significant impact on uh, the overall uh, presentation of the show. In this particular uh, pay per view, this, this packed, jam packed house, it, it makes me yearn for wishing that we could get back to live wrestling with with crowds and. Ah, uh, just no idea how long it's going to be before we finally get back there. But luckily we've got, you know, episodes like this that we can take a peek on on the WWF net or WWE Network and, you know, reminisce on those good times.
3: I mean, pro wrestling without a crowd doesn't feel like pro wrestling. If you had, if pro wrestling was a recipe and there's all the ingredients laid before you, a crowd is one of them. You need a crowd to react, you need a crowd to feed off of. And modern days without it, it just doesn't feel right. It also, to me, makes me question, because this crowd is so big and we're we're in the tail end of Bret Hart's WWF career and because they couldn't afford him. Money's going up, clearly. It makes me wonder how long it takes for money to be filtered through or what the long-range plans are. Like, I remember Paul Heyman used to say for ECW, it would take them a year to see the pay-per-view money. You have to wait for all the customers to pay, and then your cable systems take their cut, and then you get paid and all. So even though we're seeing these big houses, I wonder how much WWF is still hurting and how long it takes for them to eventually feel, say, safe or comfortable again.
2: They still reeling from that 1995 with Kevin Nash being at the top of the card?
3: I I mean, some of the in-your-house crowds that we've seen that we've been to indie shows with more people. Right. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, you look you look at it. I mean, the last, um, the last I mean, ground zero itself. Ground zero only had like five thousand people at it, and then this is you know four times that. It's it's insane how much it has grown. And I guess it kind of tells you what a great pro wrestling city St. Louis is. And, and we'll touch on that later too. Um, but I, I think it all kind of it it all kind of goes together. Plus with the um hell in the cell the first Hell in the cell as well as being an attraction that people wanted to see so let's get started with the actual event of course we start off with one of the great hbk undertaker videos they are still just knocking these videos
2: out of the park Phenomenal. We get we get a review of the whole uh, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, uh, the seeds of Degeneration X forming with Hunter, Hurst, Homsley, China, uh, the insurance policy, Rick Rude, uh, and then we cut away to. Vince jr and king on commentary and we get uh some interesting background music i guess the theme for the show ended up being a theme that was reused for steve blackman's entrance music we don't even see steve blackman as a uh an actual on-screen character for probably about a year or so
0: yeah and of course uh this event is presented by playstation always great to see the playstation logo on a wwe event absolutely Um, we are greeted with full pyro but no set Um, you know we we always like seeing the in your house set but we don't have any of that and our commentary team is Vince King and JR and a little interesting note let's get it right off the top is this is Vince's last commentating uh, role for a pay-per-view of course next month is the big uh, Montreal screw job um, and he would go full-fledged uh, Mr. McMahon character pretty much after that. So uh, enjoy it while you can here, uh, Mr. Hellions. I know you always talk about Vince's commentary. So
3: I mean, thankfully, there's thousands, upon thousands of hours of him thinking it was a three count when it was actually a two that I can rewatch on the WWE Network.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they get the pay-per-view off, um, started off. But, of course, on a somber note, we have to touch it. Um, the Brian Pillman announcement, of course, Brian Pillman passed away earlier in that day. Um, or at least they found out about him passing out. Did he pass out or pass out? Did he, um, pass earlier, um, that, that night, the previous night, or was it in the morning when they found him?
2: I I would assume something happened overnight and him sleeping, him dying in his sleep or some combination of, uh, the drugs and 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 issues with his heart, um, wear and tear in his body, and so on. But they ended up finding him that Sunday morning in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, unfortunately, his scheduled match certainly wasn't going to be happening. Uh, but they wanted to, of course, address it to the audience just to make sure that they were aware. Um, internet was certainly maybe barely in its infancy in terms of websites and posts and so on. So. Um, wanted to make sure the public was aware of some of the unfortunate news of what was going on in the WWF.
3: And, I mean, to my knowledge, there wasn't a previous one of this talent died right before a show. They've had people, you know, die, but not right before a live pay-per-view like this. We see it in the future, not that we're covering in Then Your House series. But we see it happen again in WWE, WWF over the next couple of years. There's been a few times where someone, you know, they're aware that uh, a currently active talent has died right before Raw or pay-per-view or whatever. I don't like how they address it. I have issues later on in the night as certain things are brought up. But I'm also willing to give some leeway of we've never had this happen before, so we're not quite sure what to do. And plus with Pillman, my guess is there's a house show Saturday night. He spent the night there in that town and then was going to drive in the morning. Clearly, WWF had to send someone to that other city, like back to that other city for police report to deal with it, to inform Pillman's family, you know, everything else there. So I'm sure they're just trying to figure it out as they go and how best to address it. I I give a pass, even though I'm not happy with some stuff said later on.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you're giving them a pass now. Of course, like you said, they would, um, this is the first time they'd handle the situation. So I'm sure when in future deaths, whether it be Owen or Benoit, they'll handle it much better, Kevin.
3: Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) God.
0: So um my question to you guys is obviously this is before i mean not before the internet there's still the internet but before smartphones and all that good stuff do you think they made an announcement to the live crowd
3: oh
2: that i have no idea i mean they would probably have had to have said something to explain why one of the scheduled matches uh not on the card of course we always have that card subject to change philosophy in any show but uh, I, I'm sure they brought it up at some point, whether or not it was before, uh, going live or, or midpoint during the show, who knows?
3: I'm going to say no, because they did not announce <laughs> to the crowd that Owen Hart had died. That, that crowd found out from people, you know, texting them or whatever. that were watching it at home and then it started spreading through the crowd.
0: Probably calling. Well, no, I don't think they had cell phones at that time.
3: You still had cell phones. You just had oh, yeah. everyone with a cell phone.
0: But you're not getting text messages in 99
3: for all. Or if you did, you had to press like one key five times to get the letter you wanted.
0: Tell so how many people had cell phones in 99?
3: How about this? Enough that someone would get a call and say, oh my God, you're kidding me, and tell the person next to them, and it spreads through their arena in about 10 minutes.
0: Oh, no, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I may agree to disagree on this one, but uh, no, it just it's, it's a fascinating time. You know, we. 20 years ago when this stuff was happening, or 23, I think it is technically, um, it's crazy to think how much the world has changed just with technology, how we get information that, I mean, tw- 20 years, not that
3: long ago. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Yeah. So
0: it makes, it makes it interesting to see where we'll be
3: in 20 more years. Right. No, that's, what tell, uh, that's what I tell my gray hairs. It wasn't that long ago.
0: All right. So why don't we get right started into our first match of the evening? Of course, we have the Nation of Domination, which is uh, The Rock, Rocky Maivia, Kama Mustafa, and D'Lo Brown uh, taking on LOD, the Legion of Doom with their partner, Ken Shamrock. What's going on here, Educator? So
2: as a part of the uh, Intercontinental title tournament uh, that they were doing due to Steve Austin's injury and having to strip him of the title... There was a quarterfinal match between Farouk and Shamrock, and Farouk ended up catching Shamrock in a leap and doing a very, very vicious spine buster. Now, I I don't know personally if it was just storyline-wise or if it was a legit injury. Um, I guess Shamrock ended up winning the match, but but he was coughing up blood visibly uh, during the match, and they ended up pulling him from uh, the actual pay-per-view. So instead of it being a six-man tag, Nation of Domination versus Legion of Doom and Shamrock, uh, now Legion of Doom is shorter man on their team. Now I honestly don't understand why they didn't have the ability to you know juggle things and substitute somebody in there, someone that could be a realistic uh, partner for the Legion of Doom. I mean, we talked about well, a few pay per views back when. Uh, for, uh, Ahmed Johnson was injured when he was supposed to have a world title match against The Undertaker. They were able to, within a two-week window, substitute in Vader. And Vader ended up having that world title match um, with The Undertaker at the card. So, having this been—there been a week of the supposed injury on Raw and now the Sunday pay-per-view leading up to this. And given the evac- the events of Brian Pillman's death, I mean— there, there was certainly, I'm sure, talent available that could have perhaps stepped in. I mean, two bodies or two people that come to mind: uh, Goldust, who was not at all uh, advertised on the card. Um, could Goldust have substituted in? I mean, Goldust tagged with the Legion of Doom as a part of that ten-man tag uh, at the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view, or. Uh, the other you know, possibility, I think, would make a lot of sense given Brian Pillman's death and the fact that the Dude Love versus Brian Pillman match wasn't going to occur. Why not either Dude Love or his alter ego, Mankind, uh, be, be a suitable partner for the Legion of Doom?
3: I even wonder if maybe like, because we'll talk about upcoming match, if maybe they thought of Crusher Savio Vega as a replacement until they had to come up with that eight-man match.
0: Yeah, I wonder too. Uh, when we talk about what they do, you know, uh, let, let's just get out of the way. Of course, Brian Pillman's supposed to take on Dude Love, you know, with with Mick Foley, you know, um, him not being utilized on the show at all. Do you think he was in the right mind state to even wrestle that night? I mean, you are looking at Pillman, who was a part of the Hart Foundation, and brett's still on the card uh, anvil i mean you got you know you got a lot of the heart foundation on these cards the entire heart
2: foundation would, you know is on screen later on in the show so you think they
0: would sit out but then again look a month later who is the one person that sits out after the montreal screw job foley
2: right yeah
0: mc foley so
2: so we end up getting, instead of the six-man tag, uh, the, we have now the Nation of Domination, who is a man up against the Legion of Doom. we got D'Lo Brown, Rocky Mayavia, and we've got Kama Mustafa. A um, few things in regards to the match itself. Uh, D'Lo Brown essentially making his pay-per-view debut in match in ring. Man, he just looks so babyface, uber young. Uh, compared to you know what we got to used to seeing him later on, during his tag runs and his singles runs in the WWE and and, and elsewhere, um, we get a Rocky sucks chant to start the match itself, and Rocky is stalling on the floor, uh, and the Nation of Domination is trying to like cover his ears so that he doesn't hear the crowd turning on him. Uh, Jr. goes a little retro and mentions how the Legion of Doom have such a a. a Big history and with tag team championships being former NWA, former AWA, former WWF tag team champions, and how they're still always in the hunt trying to get back into the title picture here in, in the WWF. Uh, Animal hits a huge power slam when Kama was running the ropes. A very, very impressive power slam on, on the big man Kama. Uh, Rocky ends up breaking a potential pinfall after that power slam by picking up Animal and hitting him with a DDT, and the crowd really popped f- for the, the swiftness of that DDT maneuver. Uh, the Nation of Domination just continued to tag in and out, uh, having the one-man up, one man up uh, against the Legion of Doom. They continue to wear down Animal. Um, at one point, uh, D'Lo, Brown, and Rocky end up doing a double-team maneuver on Animal where Uh, D'Lo ends up holding Animal's legs as if he was uh, Bubba Ray Dudley from the Dudleys doing the what's up headbutt maneuver into the groin, Uh, but D'Lo grabs Animal's legs and instead of Rocky doing a headbutt like we're used to seeing from uh, the Dudleys, he ends up just basically punching Animal right in the groin, so we got a very mega low blow, Uh, the ref was distracted and certainly didn't see that happen. Um, we end up getting, uh, Hawk ends up getting uh, a tag It finally into the match, but unfortunately the ref didn't see that. So now the nation continued to triple team on Animal, and they ended up setting up where uh, Kama and Rocky hold Animal's body prone on the mat, and d goes to the top rope and does his version of the lowdown frog splash. It's one of the first times we see that um, on pay-per-view itself. Hawk finally does make the hot tag and uh, starts to clear house and eventually LOD clear house and they set up Rocky for the Doomsday device. Uh, But then we see Farouk kind of come down ringside and serve almost as a distraction. He doesn't make physical contact with anybody, but... He gets up on the ring apron, and Animal ends up dropping Rocky to go kind of get into it with Farouk. And Hawk ends up missing the clothesline right as Animal drops Rocky to go deal with Farouk. And then we end up getting a double-team maneuver where, uh, because of the distraction, Kama does this roundhouse kick to the back of Hawk's neck and shoulder blades area. And then Rocky ends up scooping up Hawk and delivers again, an unnamed finisher still at the time, but he ends up hitting what we now know as the rock bottom and ends up scoring the pin one, two, three and uh, nation of domination defeat Legion of doom in this uh,
3: handicap tag. It's uh, like you're saying, it's so weird that there wasn't a replacement for Ken Shamrock out there. So you got, you know, whoever from the nation in the ring, two other members on the outside, whereas LOD only has one member on the outside and then this blank space there. Um, but it also keeps everyone looking strong. LOD loses the match, but they're a man down going into it. Nation looks strong because there's so many of them. They're working so well together, even fruit coming out at the end. How are you going to defeat this heel faction that's working as a unit? Yeah, you know, so... I think that for its point, everyone still looks strong. Everyone still looks good. You get the newer guys in the nation over and, you know, with a, with a good win without LED looking weak. Like, for its, it, for its purpose, totally fine match.
2: One thing I did notice, and I don't know if they were already, WWF was already starting to plant the seeds for this anyway. I mean, we've been talking about the evolution of Rocky Mayavia and trying to figure out who he is, and now he's doing this heel characteristic. If you notice all the wrestling gear, uh, the tights, the colors on the gear that everybody has, it's interesting how Farouk, D'Lo, and Kama have the red, the yellow, and the green color patterns on the wrestling gear, very similar, identical patterns to one another. But if we look at Rocky's gear it's more of like a powder blue and white set of stripe set of striping. Um, Do you think Hellions that uh, our mass library, do you think that they're already starting to subliminally plant the seeds for, you know, Rocky eventually uh, leaving the nation or taking over the nation? Or do you think maybe this was perhaps an homage to his family history and the Samoan history uh, that he is a part of?
3: I mean, I I could see it being just a flat out Samoan tribute. But also for as the Rock became the you know leader of the nation, you have that story with him against Farouk. Subtle little things like this would help add up to it. When Darth Vader comes out all in black and is flanked by the stormtroopers all in white, you know who's the leader, because he's the only one that looks different. So the Rock doing this just a different color scheme automatically puts him as well clearly he's the leader because he's the only one that looks different here right so i can see it um quick little thing i forgot at the end uh as lod is leaving ringside hawk grabs uh lifts up a fan wearing the lod um foam nerf shoulder pads and just kind of celebrates with him and uh, fun fact that kid was then taken and used to replace the dummy that paul ellering had No, man.
2: The the Rocco gimmick was back in 92. This is 97.
3: The Rocco. Just crickets, man. If you smell what the Rocco is cooking.
0: To me, I think one of the most interesting things about this opening match is how much better The Rock has gotten in like six months. It's
3: crazy.
2: Without a doubt. Between his WrestleMania match where he's Intercontinental Champion and then he ends up losing the title to Owen and then we see him on the next few... Uh, pay-per-views afterwards, then the knee injury to now, he's finally starting to figure out what kind of persona that he is comfortable with. And this heel persona is absolutely doing wonders for for his character. So he's
0: been in the WWF on TV for 11 months at this point because he debuted the previous year at Survivor Series. His character in these first 11 months has changed thousand times more than what Roman Reigns has changed in seven years, eight, well, how many years now?
3: Yeah. Cause it was just with the shield. And then he was the guy in the shield. We still came out in the same gear, the same idea, same move sets, the mostly bad promos. He started getting better. Um, if you see him now though, it was a Instagram picture or something lately. Like he's in by far the best shape of his life whenever he comes back, which we're still a ways off from for the world i just repackage him repackage him completely have new gear have a new look new music everything and just here's roman 2.0
0: just a side note when would you bring him back
3: um when there's a vaccine and that's his decision (laughs) vaccine and live crowd
0: but at this point like if you can have a live crowd by the rumble bring him in for a rumble
3: that would be amazing yeah just have a surprise if, if if there's live crowd and vaccine yeah absolutely have original have original music for his return don't do new music don't if you're doing new music not nah, his first night back you need that reaction so
0: we follow up that first match with uh sonny and doc Hendricks talking about the superstar line and i have a question for you guys sonny and doc Hendricks are going to do a one-on-one match in the hell in the cell who's gonna win No.
3: Oh. Planet 101, do they go outside the cage? Is there any interference or is that up to up to us to decide?
0: Or is uh, it it's up for you. It's up for you to decide.
3: Ooh.
2: Doc hits the DDT. One, two, three.
0: Kevin's really thinking about this.
3: Sunny brings out the Body Donna's, the Godwins, and the Smoking Guns beat down Doc Hendrix. Doc Hendrix's former partners are, I'll say, not available to help him. Sonny pins him by just putting one foot over him and stands above him for the three.
0: How would you how would you sell that fight? Would you say it's the free bird versus the jailbird?
2: Oh. Um,
3: also
0: Sonny has more experience in a cell than than, than, than Doc does so.
3: I, I would say it's the doot, uh, doot, do, and toot,
0: toot.
3: Doot, doot, All right. All
0: uh, right. Let's follow that up. Of course, they, they, they revisit uh, the Pillman, give more information. Like, do you think they were getting more information about this as time was going on? Or were they just completely
2: bsing this i think they're using thing. it as a crutch to fill time yeah. and uh just trying to unfortunately a- a- as we see the following night on raw how it was handled with melanie pillman and just bringing her on multiple times and just do- talking about it, it sadly it was just a kind of like a, a real life storyline that they were able to take advantage of and play out on tv and i i just wasn't impressed with how it was all handled
3: I mean, honestly, at this point, you know, it's not foul play. You know, he wasn't murdered. It's either suicide or it's an accidental overdose. It's seven, eight at night for the pay-per-view right now. The investigation's in another city. There's not more information happening right now. There probably wasn't going to be more information until like an autopsy to find out what was in the system and what happened when. They're not getting anything more at this point.
0: All right. So why don't we get into our second match? And I believe this is the first. Is this the first match that is unplanned that they just kind of throw to make some time? Um, Of course, it is the Tag Team Minis match. We have Mosaic and Tarantula taking on Max, Mini, and Nova. Uh, What did you guys think of this Minis match?
2: So I I truly believe that this certainly was not one of the original advertised matches. At least the, the crowd wasn't expecting it and how they reacted when the first team came out. I mean, you would have thought that this was a face-versus-face tag team match. As soon as the first group of minis came out, Mosaic, who was wearing uh, a yellow and red gear, and Tarantula, who was a little bit larger with longer hair, uh, with black and green gear, when they came out, as soon as like they could be visibly seen on camera, the crowd kind of popped. And I'm wondering if they popped thinking that one of them was... Um, you know, Max, the Max Mini character that they've been seeing highlighted on, on previous pay-per-views as well as on Monday Night Raw. So the, the first team ended up getting somewhat of a face pop. And then when the second team came out, Max Mini and Nova, Max Mini wearing the blue and yellow gear and Nova wearing more of like a powder blue and white combination gear, um, they got an even bigger face pop as soon as the Max Mini name itself was was advertised and announced by howard finkel um mike chiota was the referee for this match and you can kind of see just with how he was handling the match and the lucha libre style and how there weren't exactly clean tags or just people random or uh competitors just randomly inserting themselves as the live member of the match it, it was meant to be a letdown match. I'm I'm shocked that they already put it in the second place on the card, second spot on the card. Maybe it would have done better a little bit later in the card, given the other uh, filler match that was plugged in later on in the show. Um, it, it was, you know, that letdown match, c- trying to appeal to the kids. Um, kind of uh, no idea w- what what was trying to be accomplished, other than, of course, trying to get... Um, you know, the max mini character, I guess, kind of over as they were trying to figure out whether or not there were any legs for this division and, and whether or not it was going to be more of a prominently featured role on WWF TV. Um, just a couple of quick notes that I saw from the match, uh, tarantula hits a pretty impressive looking, almost like Superfly splash off the top rope onto Nova. Uh, but, uh, there was no three count, uh, completed on that. Uh, Tarantula ends up doing a, a press slam on poor Max Mini on the announce table, right in front of Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler was fantastic. Like his immediate delivery of this, Lawler saying that was the greatest little thing I've ever seen. So, you know, trying to get a little comedy from Lawler out of that, given the interaction that Max Mini had with Lawler on a pre previous uh, show that we had already covered with Max Mini, you know, jumping in his lap and wearing his crown. Um, we end up having a, a botched uh, cradle attempt on uh, Tarantula, kind of like a maestral cradle by Max Mini uh, for a one-two-three, and Mike Chioda still ended up counting a three count. And even Nova, kind of like running in, wasn't even sure that the match was completed. Um, Three-four minute match, I think, is what it was in the end. Uh, nothing too overly spectacular, other than the one cool move, the Superfly Splash off the top. Um, it is what it is but certainly uh you know meant to be the filler that it served as for the show all
3: right so the minis here nothing against them very popular type of wrestling in mexico and brought over here but you brought over four guys i think there are more you know during the duration of this with no reason for the audience to care who are they what's their deal who's a good guy who's a bad guy you know what's their character nothing the only one that's stands out is max mini because he was shorter than the rest and it's like he's shorter and does crazier moves check him out but uh this problem shows up in the eight man tag later which is also a filler match of introducing too many people all at once but not giving the audience reason to care Uh, example i'd give is the avengers movies you have an iron man movie you have captain america movie and the sequel you introduce one more character so by the time we get to avengers you know who these people are and they matter So the overall story of a group matters as well. I mean, there's some funny stuff in this match. There's where most minis matches have a biting spot for the referee. I don't know why, but they do. And there's a line of who keeps a sandwich in their back pocket. I don't know why I found that funny. It's not where I keep mine, but you know, Uh, where do you keep your sandwich in my tum. Um, (laughs) Uh, Jerry Jerry Lawler keeps saying, you know, that he wants to get in there and fight with them, and you know, he keeps saying, "Get me in the ring with the Minis, get me in the ring with them." Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was supposed to have a Survivor Series match with some Minis that he didn't show up for. Right, right. Shawn Michael said, but Survivor coincidentally, ninety three. Coincidentally, again, though, I think he didn't show up for that match because he also had a smaller person on his lap and got in trouble. <laughs>
0: I I like how you're turning this into a roast Kevin (laughs) I could see you when you watch The pay-per-views you write your little Notebook down and you write
3: all your roast Jokes Uh, Did you expect this from me are you saying that You you knew there was trouble When I walked in
1: Yeah
0: you can continue
3: (laughs) That's that's all I got for this for this i'm i'm done i'm beat here um matt i know i know you're having issues with your new apartment you know what we need i think we need a a change of clothes i think we need a new shirt do you have any suggestions for us for a new shirt
0: yeah absolutely you can buy the stone Cold steve austin (laughs) austin 316 shirt for 25 a dollar how many of these do you think they
3: sold that year like all time
0: Let's just say all time. How many have they ever announced the official number for that? I mean, it's got to be in the tens of millions,
3: right? I was gonna say that year alone was probably like five million, and all the variations that they've had since then.
2: Um, I, I this is just was a license to print money for for Steve Austin. So without a doubt, I'm sure he he has has been very very comfortably financially because of of this particular concept of the t-shirt.
0: Yeah, I mean if you're thinking about it, you're selling these at 25 bucks a pop. Say they probably average around 18 bucks, I would say, you know, when you factor in your sales and stuff like that, but 18 bucks, you and you say you get $10 from each shirt and you sell, you know, a million of them. That's 10 million right there. So if you sell 10 million of these, $100 million on one shirt is insane amount of money. I mean, it's just absurd.
3: One of the wrestling podcasts, maybe JR's, I forget was talking about um showing austin a royalty check just a royalty check not actual wrestling check for over a million dollars for a quarter of sales like uh, a quarter of the year i mean so yeah they're they're yeah crazy money for that
0: and that's just what he get the, isn't the standard WWE contract like six percent or something like that of sales
3: I think it's
0: something to that. So just imagine how much they made off off those shirts. I mean, it's it's insane. So uh, once again, uh, but after that, we are greeted with Sonny, introducing the Godwins and the Headbangers. Uh, then we get the Godwins with Uncle Cletus taking on the Headbangers. Uh, what would you guys think of this one?
2: <laughs> oh, boy. This was rough to get through. Rough to uh, see this third member of the... The Godwin family, they're trying to essentially repackage a former WWF uh, gimmicky mainstay. This used to be T.L. Hopper, who was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony, dyed hair. I mean, the reason why they had him wear the hat is because if he took his hat off, you'd see the skullet hair. And it would have been even more obvious that it was Tony Anthony, Dirty White Boy, playing this character. So, um, you know trying to do something with Sonny, have her be the ring announcer trying to discuss about her history in the tag division managing at this point three former tag team champions so we've got the headbangers defending their tag team titles that they had just won at the previous pay-per-view uh from the fatal four-way match uh having defeating owen hart and bulldog at the end of the match and Unfortunately, this this particular match didn't do any favors for either team, even though there was a title switch. Uh, right towards the beginning of the match, we end up seeing um, a move by Thrasher uh, trying to do a seated senton and then eventually a, a Huna Karana onto Phineas Godwin, and the camera ended up missing it. But the cro- the, the crowd ended up popping very, very hard for this move. And unfortunately, Vince calls for there to be a double action replay uh, for this, and they really should have not shown the replay because it was a botch. Ended up being uh, Thrasher, ended up doing like the seated senton part, and Phineas kind of like almost dropped him like it was a powerbomb, but then after the fact tried to roll over to sell that it was a, a Huna Karana attempt running from the apron, dumping off onto the floor itself. Um the headbangers attempt to do a, a faceplant, uh, face uh, kind of like the old Midnight Express maneuver, the double doozle, uh, onto Phineas Godwin. But Phineas ended up, for whatever reason, started tucking and rolling, and he almost like spiked himself in the middle of the move, like spiked himself worse than think of any Beverly brothers versus, you know, the two oh. local guys when they used to do oh. that face plant finisher and man, how many times the poor guy ended up getting spiked. Um, I, I honestly thought Phineas was like legit injured and pro- like hurt, hurt his neck, but he ended up rolling through just in a weird way so that he was able to somehow salvage and not get injured. Cause he was on the apron fine and being able to interact with the rest of the match. Um, Headbangers had some decent double-team maneuvers on Phineas. They did their one of their common... wasn't necessarily a finisher, but they would set themselves up where uh, one of the headbangers would sit on the top turnbuckle and would superplex, but faceplant, superplex his partner down for a crossbody splash onto a prone Godwin. And then there was uh, a slingshot into the ropes, and then the other headbanger jumped off and ended up doing a clothesline after the uh, Godwin ended up kind of like stepping over uh, as he's running the ropes, the uh, prone headbanger. Um, lots of back and forth. Uh, Mosh finally gets a hot tag. Uh, Thrasher ends up powerbombing Mosh onto Phineas Godwin, uh, and that went for uh, a, a pinfall attempt that wasn't uh, successful. Um, towards the end of the match, Mosh went for his stage dive, seated senton onto Phineas. And uh, Phineas ends up catching him and does like a sit-out powerbomb maneuver. And he ends up crawling over onto his prone body and we ended up counting for a one, two, three while uh, Uncle Cletus is holding uh, Thrasher, preventing him from getting into the ring itself. And we got new tag team champions um, after uh, the Godwins now are
3: two-time champions. It's... The weird thing is this was a scheduled match, too. I don't know if it's... The Headbangers, I don't think it's the Godwins, but overall the match is very sloppy. Uh, and I haven't watched enough Headbanger stuff recently to to see if it's just an off night, which happens, you know, or if they were not as good as I remember. I don't know what it is. Um, the, the Huna Conrado that's missed, but Phineas sells it, and then the camera angle, that's awful. It, it just exposes it so much. I honestly thought Phineas was going to be injured because I, I didn't remember the results of this match when I was watching it. When the headbangers just dumped him on his head, I thought he was injured for sure. I was like, "Geez, what a like How do I not remember this happening?" But he shakes it off, gets back up, finishes the match, and all. It's just it's sloppy. Like it's honestly, if you're going through this and and you're running out of time, you could skip this match, even though there's a, t- a title switch.
2: Interesting follow-up in the end that the three Godwins end up uh, continuing to do a beatdown of the Headbangers post-match. And we hear on commentary, Jr. saying something along the lines of how, you know, the referee could certainly end this and reverse the decision. And that wouldn't really set the St. Louis crowd home unhappy. And then we all of a sudden we see referee Tim White go over to the announcer and say, you know, tell they have the announcer announce that if the Godwins do not leave ringside immediately, they'll be immediately stripped of the tag team titles. Here we see uh, the third Godwin, uh, the Uncle Cletus who ends up using his little horseshoe gimmick and beating down some of the the headbangers uh, a couple of times. Unfortunately, this character didn't last too long. We end up seeing uh, uh, him maybe make one more appearance after this show, and then he's kind of written off TV.
0: Yeah, really a, a nothing, just throwaway kind of match. I mean, even though there is a title change, <laughs> as, as weird as that sounds, it's just... Kind of what it was. So, as we have learned, the wwf cares about their wrestlers, and they care about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, there's a video package where they're kind of talking about how Austin is not medically cleared, and it's because the WWF does not want him to hurt himself. Um, the big question is, will Stone Cold Steve Austin retire tomorrow night? Um, you know, they do show, and... and Clarify something for me, guys, because I've always remembered, and it could be just me misremembering, was the first time Austin stunned Vince. I, for some reason, have always thought it was the night after Mania 14, because aren't they in um, Madison Square that night? And the, the place, you know, erupts, yada, 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 and that really is... You know, the first person getting his hands really on the Mr. McMahon character. But they're showing Austin stun Vince as when he was just Vince as the commentator. So what, I'm confused. Is, is it me? Is it a WWE revisionist history where they're like, oh, it would have been better if this was the first time, especially with what happens next month, you know, with with Brett Um, and the whole screw job and really making Vince the heel character. Um, do they kind of overlook the first time now that Austin stunned him or am I just misremembering how this happened?
2: I think, or a combination, or it could be a combination of both. I think it's a combination of both, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the Mr. McMahon character ends up because of the events of survivor series next month and we start to see him be more playing more of that, um, owner role even the following month when we end up doing the next show the Degeneration X pay-per-view in your house the December pay-per-view we're going to end up seeing his involvement um, post that pay-per-view on the Monday Night Raw where he demands a, a particular title change to take place as a result of the actions of one of the competitors and he ends up stripping uh, somebody of the title and hands it to the other competitor from the match and um, The idea of the Mr. McMahon character being, I guess, the heel character, um, this isn't exactly the first time they played with this. Uh, Mr. McMahon actually did some USWA work and ended up being a character on their local television show playing the heel Vince McMahon character from the WWF um, like a year or two prior to uh, this, like in 95. Uh, 94 or 95, I believe. I can't The, the exact dates escape me. So they, they were toying... He was toying the, himself with this uh, back in USWA during their partnership with Jerry Lawler in the USWA uh, a few years prior. But we end up getting... It's kind of a revisionist in that we see Mc, uh, video recaps of Austin stunning uh, both JR, Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry the King Lawler, and then eventually Vince... And then we see bits and pieces of of from the previous RAW, where you know Vince lays down the line of of the you know you got three options, you've got to either provide a doctor's note saying that you know you're medically cleared to wrestle, uh, or you, you know you sign a waiver absolving WWF from any uh, responsibility to your health. And then the third option and Vince, you know, the Vince McMahon, the the commentator character, he's now starting to, you know, blur that line that he's the actual owner. And he's like, you know, he kind of muffles, you know, we're going to end it termination kind of deal. So we're we're starting to see the, the McMahon character, the owner character kind of like take its baby steps here. And then eventually they just they have to full blown go embrace it, given the events of uh, Survivor Series the following month.
3: I would say the stunner we see in this highlight package is the first time Vince McMahon, the announcer, was stunned. Right. The night after Mania is the first time Mr. McMahon, the owner of the company, was stunned. And even though, yes, that's the same guy, those are two different scenarios. Right. Now, uh, now, uh, now also, though, because of this highlight reel, and then later on, uh, the next segment is Michael Cole interviewing Owen Hart about Austin. Austin is the Poochie of the WWF at this time. Poochie, for anyone that doesn't remember, is a classic episode Simpsons when they bring in the dog character voiced by Homer to join Itchy and Scratchy. And the joke is Poochie needs to be on camera at all times and if he's not in the scene, they need to be talking about him saying, Hey, where's Poochie? Hey, talk about Austin all the time, and if Austin's not here, ask, hey, where's Austin?
0: Does does Austin leave in a uh uh spaceship to go back to his home planet?
3: Um didn't he after WrestleMania twenty? No, he took his ball and went home. That's true.
0: <laughs> and it was Mania nineteen, but Mania he's keeping count. Not uh, no, fair. my favorite my favorite Poochie is uh <laughs> I, did it all for the, I did it all for the Poochie. Um my favorite Poochie uh meme, wrestling meme is after the Royal Rumble where the rock comes out and holds up uh Roman Reigns' hand in Philly and they're just booing him mercilessly. Someone edited Poochie as the rock holding up trying to get poochie over <laughs> it's fantastic yeah so we have skinny michael cole interviewing owen hart um you know talking about austin uh we follow that up we get a nice shot of the playstation blimp man wouldn't those be nice to have how much you think those would go for if the one intact, without without
2: it out one of a kind kind of deal man that's gonna be top shelf at any local retro game store
0: yeah, you need a lot of space too because that thing is huge. Uh, and then we're gonna go into an interesting segment here. Something that I was kind of shocked would be on a pay per view, um, and that is St. Louis, the greatest wrestling city. Uh, we have JR coming out and really talking about some St. Louis wrestling legends uh, and kind of going over really a, a great segment for that for that you know home crowd here. Um, It was just kind of interesting to see this on a pay-per-view. What did you guys think of doing this right on the actual show?
2: Certainly this had to be something that was planned in order to bring all of these legends. This wasn't something that they threw together that afternoon in wake of uh, the Brian Pillman uh, death and this being filler. Uh, I I thought this was uh, absolutely amazing paying homage to some of the local greats that has such a rich history, uh, mainly with the NWA in the St. Louis area, the St. Louis territory. Um, and in, in, more, in most particular, uh, the work of Michael Cole doing the voiceovers for the video packages, summarizing the aspects of each of the, these wrestlers, these Hall of Fame-worthy uh, individuals in their careers, Um, It was just, for me, it was a fantastic segment, uh, giving due diligence to those that paved the way to current era uh, WWF television.
3: I I honestly think, and and it's a great tribute, it's very well done. Um, Hall of Fame wasn't, you know, the one night event like it is now, well not this year, but usually. I also kind of think it's a dig at WCW just getting rid of the NWA history in a lot of ways. And WWF saying, "Well, we'll respect the wrestlers. We'll do it, and show like we're and get all the fans that love the history on our side of things." But also, like you need to do stuff like this while the people are still around. If they didn't do it, you know, at this point, then when are you going to do it and make sure that all these people are still there and still able to attend? We'll say, right? You know, so if you don't, if you don't schedule stuff like that when you can then there's not another time that you'll ever be back together. Now we got
1: bad blood.
0: Yeah, and just to kind of go over um, some of the names, well, uh, let's go over all the names. Gene Kaninsky, uh, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr., Handsome, Harley Race, uh, of course, Terry Funk, uh, Luthes, and then promoter Sam Muchnick. Um, just kind of coming out and getting their plaques, thanks to Sonny handing everything out, who was in the ring with them. Uh, yeah, it was a really good segment. Like like you guys said, I think it's kind of an antithesis of what the Hall of Fame would become. Of course, they were doing the Hall of Fame sporadically, and we, we talked about it, too. They were moving it around from you know city to city. It wasn't on Mania weekend. It was on different weekends, so... Um, they kind of obviously turned that into a way to have a show and, and, make some money with minimal cost. Um, and this just kind of is a precursor to that pretty much. We're great
2: piece of uh, great piece of history being able to apprise current fans to some of the greats. Uh, one piece of information, I thought that was impressive to, for me, just as a reminder, uh, for me, uh, and of course many others, is Lutez's, uh NWA World Heavyweight Championship history. He's a six-time former heavyweight champion, and there was a uh, a 29-year gap between when he first won his the first reign of his title uh, when he was 21 years old t- until his last title defense— Uh, when he was 50 years old, when he he had finally lost his last reign. So just a a great rich history, uh, for the impact that he had with the NWA, as well as the other wrestlers who had such a significant contribution to NWA and St. Louis wrestling history. Educator, let me ask you a question here
0: with, with, with wrestling the way it is today. And of course, like you said, Luthez had a 29 year gap in between title runs where he was. How old was he when he had it when he's young? I think it
2: was 21 when he won his first title reign and his last title reign, he defended it. He was 50. He okay. The
0: it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, 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 could you see this happening in today's age? And um, What I mean by that is I think right now, I think the most over one of the most over wrestlers is Jericho. Right. I mean, quite frankly. And he's doing some of the best work of his career uh, character work, but with the way the style is now and when you have these longevity and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it is the high flying style. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get to be about 50, you really can't, you got to change it up. Right. I mean, Lou was a guy that could stretch people and, and really more, you know, had a nothing really crazy, like high flying and sort of like that, where the style fits it better, where you could still do the same stuff you were doing when you were 20 that you can do when you're 50. Um, do you think we could ever see that now? Um, And would it like, I mean, WWE, I don't think would just because they tend to go through guys super, super quick. Like you don't have the longevity that you would um, there unless Alexa bliss could do it because she's better than the undertaker.
2: Right. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, you were talking about, you know, some of the the history and the styles and, uh, you know, being able to continue to go, you know, within this group of particular legends, you've got Terry Funk, who earlier in the year was ECW world heavyweight champion and was doing ladder matches, barbed wire matches, was doing moonsaults off the top rope. um, And then ended up getting hired and was a part of a program with Cactus Jack and mankind and, and as Chainsaw Charlie, um, you've got a lot of guys who have an ability to continue to go and and modify their style and, and work in a way that's safe for them, safer for the wear and tear on them, but is still uh, overwhelmingly convincing for their product. Um, you know, I, I, names right now in the WWE that would fit that mold are escaping me, but... Looking at all elite wrestling, you just brought up Chris Jericho. Um, I'm sorry, I, I, without a doubt, Christopher Daniels can still go and is still entertaining, and he's 50. Um, another individual, which, you know, kind of was like the king of the mid card and tried to slide into a couple of main events, and to me, still looks amazing, uh, uh, Billy Gunn absolutely is still going and in and, and you got dustin Rhodes. i mean you've got those four who are in their in their you know for what most would consider well beyond their prime years uh in terms of their career but absolutely can still go and can still deliver a very uh a very entertaining presentation of their craft and and can still successfully contribute to the evolution of the business.
0: So another question too, is who do you think from like an under 25 will still be around in 30 years from today's, you know, kind of crop of, of wrestlers?
2: I would like to, I would like to think, um, uh, Johnny Gargano. I would like to think Unfortunately, I don't. I don't see it with his body. Uh, Tommaso Champa, he, he's just had so much work done on his body and injury and so on. I, I would love to see a Keith Lee still going in his late, mid to late forties, early fifties. Yeah, you know, I, I really think he'd have to certainly cut down on his body size, uh, wear and tear on his joints and his hips and so on. Um, I, those are three names myself that kind of uh, uh, you know jump out at me right now Uh, a finn balor who i mean for us by the time he was introduced to uh, mainland north america he was already in his mid-30s by the time he really made it to prime wwf television and i think he's like in his late 30s now uh as a part of uh
3: the nxt roster
2: and i think he's got a lot more to contribute to the business than what he already has in north america
3: i think adam cole style he could stick around for a while and and just you know make subtle adjustments to not take a beating so bad
0: yeah i just i find it you know when we we talk about one it's wwe burns through their guys so quickly and they're just disposable to, to them they just throw them away and they don't make stars and stuff like that but i think it's interesting the note the styles changes and like you guys said like look at how aj styles has evolved his style over the years to you know kind of help out with his um with his career and the longevity of it. And and I think he's a good, um, and like you said, Matt too, Christopher Daniels, those are, I think two good people that the younger, um, younger wrestlers should really look at when you're, um, evolving your style over the years. And you want to, you want to last as long as Luther Luthes did, but Luthes looked great by the way. I mean, he was like what 70 in this uh, promo yeah. Yeah. and he looked phenomenal. So, um after that we get doc Hendricks interviewing the uh nation of domination it's a quick little interview um and then we get a another pillman update they are just hammering this for this pillman stuff really trying to i don't know what they were trying to do um and then we go right into farouk taking on owen hart uh for the um for the ic title so it's farouk versus owen hart and the star of the match is Hoochie himself, Stone Cold Steve Austin. What did you What did you guys think of this match?
2: Unfortunately, for the at ha- at home viewer, uh, it was more entertaining watching the shenanigans of Steve Austin interacting with anyone and everyone at ringside between commentary, ring announcer, timekeeper, and so on. Uh, and unfortunately, it just it took away for the, what was the in ring product that was attempting to be put over with eventually Owen Hart. Ah, uh, basically stealing a win, defeating Farouk, who for the most part was just completely overpowering and dominating Owen throughout
3: the entire match. Yeah, I mean, I have no notes other than who wins for actual in-ring action, but I have all of Austin's shenanigans written down, and it's it, it's great. Austin joining commentary, Austin joining the Spanish announce tape on the French announce team. It's a lot of good comedy work. Austin hitting Owen with the or sorry, hitting Fruk with the belt so that Owen wins so that Austin can get revenge against Owen and take the title back later is great long term planning. But I don't know if Owen, Hart and Fruk had a good match here. I didn't see their match. You know, so I, 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 you can't even rank it or anything. You just put a little asterisk next to it. Austin's great. Owen gets the title. We know we got a match coming up later on. Good, cool. Moving on, honestly,
0: Austin was fantastic and he is definitely the star of this. Um, so right after that match, we have the Heart Foundation, um, with the Vader and Patriot. We have like a little video package to kind of show that match, and then they don't go right to that match, they go to the Los Bariquas versus the DOA. Um, I'm gonna guess this was it was this another match that they just kind of thrown together uh, because of the Pillman. Um, uh,
2: because of the Pillman uh, death, probably this would have been a dark match, or you know, or something just for the live crowd. But given uh, filler that was needed, uh, unfortunately, they're trying to continue to push the idea of the gang warfare, the gang rules uh, down the fans' throat, and it's just there's way too many bodies that are being introduced too quickly. Without time to develop, like you know, uh, you know, mass library talked about, you know, we, we didn't get an Avengers movie to start, we had individual movies to get introduced to the characters. You know, at this point, we had five four man groups that were a part of this whole gang warfare. That there was a whole video package about, uh, reviewing uh, the history in their WWE. So we've got the Disciples of Apocalypse who is Crush, 8-Ball, Chains, and Skull, who would be the old Harris brothers or the Blue brothers and primetime Brian Lee tagging up with Crush. We've got Los Bruiquas, who are Savio Ve- Vega's crew, uh, with Miguel Perez, uh, Jesus Castillo, and Jose Estrada Jr., We have the Heart Foundation, who, you know, certainly we're going to see them throughout. We've got the Nation of Domination, which we saw earlier. And then we had our just recently debuted uh, Truth Commission faction uh, with Kurgan the Interrogator and a few other uh, gentlemen who, you know, we're just so many um, sniper and recon. Uh, So just so many um, so many bodies, but no time to just make us want to care about them. and unfortunately this particular match it, it, it was just uh, tough to get through, tough to watch and unfortunately it didn't do either of the teams any favors regardless of who the winning outcome was going to be.
3: No there's there's one good move in the match and that's uh, all of Los Barriquas hit a member of DOA in the corner. Savio's the last one he hits a, a spinning heel kick and flips over the corner and lands feet first on the floor. That just shows off good work by Savio. Um, One member of the Boriquas, and I cannot remember who, I apologize, is wearing a black shirt. The rest are wearing white shirts. The member who is wearing the black shirt is also the member who takes the pinfall. And in my opinion, it was in order for DOA to understand who is who and who is taking the pinfall, which is why he was in a different colored shirt.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's at one point where Vince, even he proves that he doesn't even know who's who in the match. At w- in one sentence, he called uh, Miguel Perez uh, first, Jose, and then Jesus, uh, while Miguel Perez was was taking a, a maneuver or was doing a, you know an offensive maneuver. Um, we we get the finish where Crush throws. It ends up being uh, Jesus Castillo, the one that was wearing the dark shirt, um, who was like the smallest, thinnest of all the four barriquas. Savio, uh, or I'm sorry, Crush throws Jesus Castillo into the ropes. And um, uh, uh, Chains ends up hitting him in the back uh, with like a forearm or like a clothesline. So, uh, he's, you know, his back is injured. And as he walks off the ropes, crush ends up hitting him with a awkward tilt to that tilt to world backbreaker that crush tried to sell as his finishing maneuver and ends up getting a one, two, three victory for the pin and, uh, winners are DOA. So Kevin, you don't think Jesus
0: Castillo was the rock of the new, uh, Los Periquos.
3: Um, based on tattoos, the, Two identical members of DOA have. I think they needed help telling the difference from their opponents.
0: No, oh, I thought maybe it was just you know separate him from the rest. He would be the leader of the breakers. No, no. Okay. Just thought I just thought I would check there before we move on. Why don't we take a quick little break and we'll be back after these uh, after this short break. Promotional consideration paid for by the following.
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Educator of Excellence from the House Show podcast here for a public service announcement about etiquette at family gatherings. You know, while we're in this unique COVID era times, you still may be able to have the general family gatherings at the household. Whether these may be for birthdays, whether they are for anniversaries, maybe graduations, any gathering that that may involve you having to continue to practice social distancing guidelines to be safe while still be able to be in each other's company. Well, this is a public service announcement for you to please do not be a mark for yourself and be Bruce Hart. Don't take your soda and dump it all over anyone else in order to get yourself over. Practice social distancing, wear a mask when appropriate, make sure you sanitize, and don't be a mark. So at your family gatherings this summer and this fall, don't be a mark and don't be a Bruce.
0: What if I told you he wasn't afraid? That an entire community would attack him that sometimes you can't back down that sometimes you have to stand and fight what if i told you that the cause was bigger than him that fame would ultimately go to his head that you just can't fly too close to the sun the Retro Network and The House Show present Riding Dirty on Dirty The Crone Meltzer Story Coming soon to The House Show Podcast Alright, so we are back here uh, to kind of go over our co-main event and our main event of Bad Blood Now, uh, before the break... You know, we were talking about the Los Barricos DOA match. My question to you guys is we've seen a lot of matches that were thrown on the card, right? Um, we think that one may have been or it could have been a dark match that got moved. We saw the, um, the Minis match was thrown on there. Was the Godwins Headbangers also thrown on there as well?
3: I don't believe
2: so. I don't believe so. I think that was originally scheduled as a match. I'm just curious
0: how long the Pillman dude love match was one supposed to go or if they had more segments planned for for pillman or dude love
3: my guess is the match was at least one segment and something with pillman and marlene and maybe gold dust was probably a second if not third segment so they had for all of it
2: because if you look at the the actual timing like how much time was dedicated to the minis match and how much time was actually given to this eight-man tag while While they were two separate matches, I think between both, maybe 15, 20 minutes total time. So getting a whole match, the Dude Love-Pillman match, and I'm sure some kind of shenanigans and segment with Marlena and Goldust afterwards. um, I think it it did what it was supposed to do in terms of filling time.
0: All right, and we are back with Michael Cole interviewing Brett and Bulldog. And then we have Doc Hendricks interviewing the Patriot and Vader. And we have a flag match. And uh, I got a question for you guys. Mast Library. Was this match better than what you thought?
3: Oh, by far.
0: Okay. Uh, educator, was this match better than what you thought? I
2: think, uh, sadly, this match is overshadowed by the main event. Had the main event not existed, I, I, this was would have been the match of the night and uh wasn't expecting uh, amazing things but then watching this match and the tweaks that they ended up throwing into the match to compensate for i guess problems that they d- didn't plan for um uh, th- this actually turned out to be a really solid match i enjoyed it a lot
0: yeah i also thought it was better you know who else thought it was better than what they you know originally thought who's that That would have been Vince McMahon on commentary who says, and I quote, this match is better than what we thought. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you, why don't you break it down, uh, educator, because I know you, like you said, you, you really enjoyed
2: this match. So uh, why don't you take everyone to class on it? So the deal was that the match itself was supposed to be a flag match. And I really think that they had to throw uh, a change in the stipulations. And in fact, it was even announced. During the entrance of the first team that uh, the updated stipulations now involve pinfall and submission. I really believe that when they set up the poles and put the flags at the top of the poles, they didn't realize how tall the actual poles were that were holding the flags, and there would have been no way any of the wrestlers, realistically would have been able to climb the pole uh, just completely way out of realistic reach. Um, three of the four wrestlers, they wear long tights, uh, Patriot, Bret Hart, and Vader. And I, you really would have had to have gone like old playground style and wrap your legs around the pole and skimmy on up the pole in order to get the flag itself. So while there were many plays towards getting the flag during the match, you could tell when the tallest guy of the four, the Patriot, went to go get the flag and he's standing flush on the turnbuckle and he's reaching up. There, there was no way that any, anybody was going to actually capture the flag in the match. Uh, the crowd was just super hot at the very, very start as when the faces entered after Brett and Owen, uh, or I'm sorry, when Brett and Bulldog came to the ring. And Vader and Bulldog come down and they start fighting and brawling in the around ringside. And they're starting to use uh, the flags that they were carrying to ringside as weapons and snapping them over each other's back. Uh, it, it was just an, an absolute uh, barn burner to start. And the crowd was so hot and heavily invested. Uh, we see uh, as Vader is tagged in and starts to battle Brett, the crowd is super, super hot. When uh, Brett hits a clothesline on Vader, and then Vader uh, responds eventually as Brett tries to do a sunset flip onto Vader. Vader just does the big sit-down vertical splash, uh, butt splash onto uh, Brett, and luckily uh, Bulldog runs in to, to make a save. Both men end up tagging out, and Patriot is now working with Bulldog, throws Bulldog against the ropes, and Patriot hits a dropkick onto Bulldog that would make, like, Bob Holly blush. The size of the Patriot and his ability to jump as vertically high as he did. In fact, his bottom foot is what, uh, like, clipped Bulldog's head, his higher foot in his position, just like almost missed his body. It was just amazing to see a guy of that size hit a drop kick that, that high up in the air. Uh, Brett tries to do the figure four spot on the Patriot around one of the corners. And it's one of the corners that actually has the additional uh, flag post up in the, up in the air to support the flag and the extra uh, width of the wraparound of the post that made it difficult for Brett to do, uh, a proper lock on that figure four post spot. Um, Brett ends up putting the Patriot in the Sharpshooter midway in the match, and we see again the Patriot reverse the Sharpshooter. So this is now the second time we've seen a competitor mid match uh, reverse the existing Sharpshooter on Bret Hart to put the uh, put Brett into the Sharpshooter himself. Bulldog ends up making the save and breaks it up before any significant damage could be done to Brett. Um, eventually, Vader does a uh, gets a hot tag in, another hot tag in, and starts working on Bulldog. He ends up throwing bulldog in the ropes and he does that vertical avalanche, you know, squash into Bulldog, uh, and then he ends up hitting a belly to back suplex onto the bulldog and then hits the ropes and does a big splash on the bulldog only for a two count. Brett ends up tagging in and ends up, he himself gives Vader a belly to back suplex. I mean, Brett's not known to be, you know, Brett's very, very in shape, but he's not known to be a super like body type, physically strong guy, him getting Vader up for that belly to back suplex. It just was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, And Vader sold it like a champ. Uh, Brett ends up putting Vader in the sharpshooter, which that would be something we, I wouldn't expect uh, to see, but he turns Vader right over and sits down. Patriot ends up, uh, making the save Patriot ends up eventually tagging in, even though both the announcers claim they didn't see a tag and the ref claims they didn't see a tag. It was on camera. There actually was hand to hand contact between Vader and the Patriot, uh, Patriot ends up going crazy, and he ends up putting a figure four on Brett, and uh, Brett ends up tagging in the Bulldog so that the Bulldog can make a save. Bulldog hits a standing vertical suplex on the Patriot. Good crowd pop for that, that long-delayed vertical suplex. We get a two-count. Vader sets up Bulldog uh, in the corner and uh, ends up doing a body slam, sets him up prone to do a moonsault. And this was a spectacular-looking spot. Vader climbs to the top, and I think Vader just felt a lot more comfortable climbing to the top and uh, setting up for the moonsault because he had the extra-long flagpole post to hold for his balance. Vader does an amazing backflip and almost perfectly lands on his feet. He does land on his feet but then drops down just slightly on his knee. It's just a spectacular sight to see big Leon White, 400-plus pounds, doing a complete backflip, comfortably looking backflip, and almost land it perfectly on his feet. And even the announcers talked about how impressed they were with Vader doing that. Um, Vader knocks Bulldog over the top rope to the floor with a clothesline. Uh, So now all four guys are essentially brawling um near the uh, hard camera side of the ring side Brett ends up doing his like mule kick kind of deal where a, a prone wrestler he kind of does that back kick into the groin and then Brett ends up picking up the uh he did that to the Patriot and then he picks up the ring bell and crushes Vader over the back uh with the ring bell itself uh we end up getting Vader thrown back into the ring after getting hit with the ring bell he is able to crawl away And is able to tag in the Patriot. Uh, The Patriot sets up Brett and does his under Uncle Slam, full Nelson uh, Slam maneuver for the Bulldog to make a last-moment save. And then we get a run-in, a run-in not from the back, but from (laughs) an unsuspecting fan, or at least an unsuspecting fan to to those watching on TV uh probably 135 pound fan wearing a light blue shirt i don't know if he was a a reject from the bwo uh but a fan doesn't run in and once he's in the ring he almost kind of freezes and we see mike Kyoto and the bulldog like legit start uh, legit start uh shoot snopping and kicking this fan until we see a few agents and security from uh, out back run in ringside and drag the fan out of the ring. Um, Just crazy, crazy, crazy. Vader sets up for uh, the Vader bomb splash onto Brat during the whole uh, crowds focusing on the fan being yanked out of the ring melee. Um, And he does hit that, uh, the Vader bomb splash uh patriot then ends up getting into the match after that vader bomb splash attempts to kind of do the backland bridge roll up on after uh, pushing brett into the ropes and cradling him back to do a one two three but then brett ends up yanking on the patriots tights cradling back and rolling the patriot back even further locking up the tights and brett sits square down one two three brett hart pins the patriot for the victory, giving the Bulldog and brett the win for the match. I thought this was a great match. The physicality between the guys, the spots that were going on back and forth, this made me yearn for a Bret Hart-Vader one-on-one match so much. This made me wish that there could have been more legs on the Patriot, the Patriot ends up tearing a bicep in a couple of weeks and ends up missing the Survivor Series pay per view, and unfortunately never really recovers and ends up getting released from the WWF in early '98. I thought that there could have been a lot more with both the Del Welch character as the Patriot, a uh, big, big physical, impressive-looking guy, decent on the mic. Uh, unique gimmick, a cer- certainly a unique gimmick with the Canada versus USA. Uh, but this match really made me wish there could have been a lot more between Big Leon and uh, Bret Hart, without a doubt.
3: It's, it's, it's such a surprise. It's such a delightful surprise of a match. Um, it, it, at first, you're like, how is it a flag match? But Pinfall counts, the submission counts. Is this like some... Herb Abrams' UWF stuff of we're gonna alter the rules to a classic match. The four men in the ring handle it very well. You can you know it's gonna be a pinfall or submission to end the match, but they still make the attempts to you know look like they're gonna climb the pole and all. The announcers are very confused. Uh, illegal tags and is there a countout? Is there a DQ? No, it's already flag match that you're allowing pinfall and submission. There's it's the match is not gonna end any other way here. You know illegal tag all you want, even though it wasn't a. Illegal legal tag. Um, you're right. Vader's moonsault and landing on his feet. I'll say 95% landing on his feet is spectacular and just shocking to see. Uh, fan getting beat up is great. And I feel like the issue here is here's finally a good place for Vader to be. And you find it out when he's almost gone. Vader in tag matches, just getting the hot tag, being the powerhouse guy coming in, beating people up for a couple minutes. And then, being the outside man and taking a breather would have been perfect for him. Just come in with all sorts of energy and fury, him and Brett, you know, I, I, Vader was blown up after it, but damn Brett looked like he was too. Which says a lot about how hard they were going at it. And honestly, I would have been all set to see Vader and Patriot team up for like the next year or so after this. It, it was so good, so much fun. It's just a shame that Nothing more came of it. And honestly, considering that next month is Survivor Series, there's money on the table here with Bret Hart versus Vader versus Austin Moore versus a not injured Patriot. Like there's so much what could have been. And honestly, I think this match shows a lot of the potential of what could have been for like the end of 97 and into 98.
0: Yeah. As we said on earlier shows, I think that this going back and revisiting these in your houses are making myself want to watch the raws where the heart foundation is running rough shot and really leading up this, this back half of 97 from June through December. Like what a crazy time for wrestling with stone cold, you know, coming up stone cold, getting injured at, at, at summer And, and you have, I, let me ask you guys this. Is there a more jam packed like six months for a, for the WWF ever, and what I mean by jam packed is not like stuff going on, but like really landscape changing stuff. Because you have, you know, we'll say in June you you start it. You have Austin's neck injury when he was looking like he had the rocket on him. You have the uh, next month you. You have the Montreal Screwjob. I mean, this is stuff where they are pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and really changing the way they run their business um, while this is going on.
3: I mean, I don't know if it's within the six-month period, but I think the best example for here's what we were before this time and here's what we are after would have been WrestleMania 1 and the WWF MTV shows, like War to Settle the Score and all of that. I think that was probably the previous – Here's what wrestling was beforehand. We did these three shows here, and here's what wrestling is after. And it's two different things. It also, to show the six months here, like it's been discussed on the Retro Network as a, as a possible um, uh, Twitter question or uh, for the main show, a question, best 90s wrestlers. Your best 90s wrestlers before 96, 97, and your ones after are two different lists. Without a doubt, like you, I don't think you can do a best '90s one without splitting it into like first half of the decade, second half.
0: I I think too, if you look at the first half of the decade, you'll probably have more at this point WCW wrestlers, absolutely, like
3: Flair compared
0: to to, the, to this la, this last. But I'm just saying too, like even if you you put Hogan, uh, you know Savage at this point early nineties wrestling is in WCW when, when this pay-per-view is taking place.
3: Yeah. And then you, you're the list you would write in 2000 with, you know, 96, 97, 98, 99, totally different.
0: It's all attitude era. WWF. guys. Yeah. It's out. all
3: about changing the presentation
2: and getting to more of the reality based presentation as opposed to the typical, uh, you know, storyline, good guy, bad guy, kind of, or baby face heel kind of deal. Kind of blurring the lines to, to the more reality-based stuff. And that was becoming more and more popular.
0: Yeah, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, uh, watch. And like like we said, I think on the previous one, the Patriot, like what could have been if he would have came a couple years sooner and if he would have lasted and didn't have his demons. Like it's just, this was, yeah, I, I enjoyed this match as well. Um, So following that up, we have Karate Fighters presenting our Survivor Series Gang Rules uh, event. I thought this was kind of fun uh, to see how they were building up this Survivor Series and really what it would become. (laughs) I mean, is this the most? Let me me ask this. So Survivor Series, top five moments, number one not top five, excuse me. Survivor series top, top three moments in survivor series history. Okay. You have, of course, Montreal Screwjob Number one, there's nothing even close. Would you say two and three could be the debut of taker and the debut of the rock
3: debut of taker? Yes. Cause as soon as he walked out, you're like, Oh, debut of rock. I don't know. It's, it's important. Historically, but I wouldn't put the debut of the ringmaster in the top list. Like, he wasn't The Rock yet.
2: Uh, Maybe what would scrape top three for me would be the WWF versus the Alliance paper, uh, the uh, Survivor Series match that ended up where, and then the next night, Ric Flair's said to be the the owner of the consortium, and now he's partners with McMahon and all that. Um, So that night where... Kurt Angle ends up turning on the Alliance and helps um, the WWF end up winning the rock winning.
3: Honestly, the rock winning the tournament at Survivor Series for the vacant title. I would put higher than his debut at Survivor Series. Yeah, I would too. It's just kind of
0: crazy to think. I, I know Survivor Series. We all are just like, eh, whatever, especially now because they use it as the raw versus SmackDown and versus NXT. It's just kind of lame. But go back and think about it as far as like your big four pay-per-views, like, you know, mania is your fun show where everyone goes home happy, but survivor series and probably the rumble changed the landscape. I feel like a lot of times more than well, SummerSlam. I I don't really think ever changes the landscape. I mean, I'm trying to think of big, big thing. I mean, obviously big things happen, but not like it's going to set up the, you know, kind of the future. And I, I, and I'm curious, You know, I I know we are a month away, obviously, from the from the screw job here and and we won't cover it. We'll get the aftermath, though, next week. But what they thought the reaction was going to be by doing this, like if they knew, oh, this is going to be Vince is going to be the heel of this. Or if they honestly I could see Vince thinking, oh, the fans are going to be on my side.
1: (laughs) Oh, probably. Yeah, right.
0: I mean, I've seen the way they booked their faces. It's not good. It's not good. So, um, all right. So why don't we get into this? Because we got a, we got a barn burner of a match coming up here. Uh, we got the lowering of the hell in the cell. Uh, we have doc Hendricks, uh, with, um, HBK doing an interview. Of course, uh, he's flanked by triple H China and the insurance policy. Rick rude. Uh, we get an expanded HBK and undertaker video, um really kind of showcasing Shawn Michaels's heel turn. Uh fantastic video. This was a fantastic video. And then we get the first ever Hell in the Cell match between uh Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. And uh can, Okay, let me just start it off by saying this. Um uh, should I let's just put this number 1 right now in my opinion on list the best matches. Let's not even talk about the match. Just put it on our top five, number one.
3: In my opinion, I, I, I mean, we can, we can break kayfabe here. Just keep going, but I'll, I'll, I'll say that there was there was discussion earlier, and the consensus is there is no discussion.
0: There
1: isn't
0: a lot I mean, this this is a, an unbelievable, um, unbelievable match. I, I I brought this up. When I was talking to you guys, I sent you a message like, when was the last time you watched this? And you both had watched it um, years ago, I feel like. 10, 12 years Um, ago. Me, I've only watched this match once before I watched it again. Um, And I think the reasoning that is, is obviously I never owned the VHSs or anything like that. And when the network got Put you know when they when they put everything on the network and and they released the Survivor Series DVDs or next Survivor Series excuse me and the DVDs the Hell in the Cell match I would always go to was Undertaker versus Mankind because of the spectacle of it all. But as far as storytelling goes, this blows that out of the water. I mean, this is unbelievable, and I'm gonna pass it to the educator because he's gonna break it down and and just. God, what a match this, this is! This
2: is without a doubt a masterpiece. I mean, it's the first time. So when we talk about like first time matches, the the first uh, you know, Royal Rumble match wasn't overly superly spectacular, not as superly memorable for who won. You know, while we we are, we are told that the first ladder match is the Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon WrestleMania 10. That is not the case. There were many a ladder matches that Shawn Michaels had against Bret Hart that were on Coliseum video for the intercontinental title, uh, during Brett's second intercontinental title run before he lost the title to the British Bulldog at SummerSlam 92. And, and, and while the, then those matches don't hold a candle, uh, to, uh, other known ladder matches, um, this without a doubt, the first Hell in the Cell match is a masterpiece, and is always going to be uh, the bar that all other Hell in the Cells should be compared to. And, and a few have flirted with exceeding those expectations. You had made mention with the uh, the Mick Foley and Undertaker one. Uh, but many of them just pale in comparison to how the storytelling that this particular match um, had before the cage is lowered. Uh, we have Sergeant Slaughter and a referee. They're they're looking underneath the ring. They're looking to see if there's anything hidden under the ring, if there are people under the ring, anything that you know could interfere with the match itself. And then we see Slaughter's once he clears the ring. Okay, go ahead, lower the cage. Um, We see Shawn Michaels make his entrance into the cage with the rest of not-yet-named Degeneration X. And then as the cage lowers, we see Triple H, we see China, we see Rick Rude, you know, go over to ringside, over towards commentary so that the cage can lower. Undertaker makes his entrance. He walks into the door of the cage. Uh, The cage door is locked, and then they, it's just... Glorious, glorious storytelling. Beginning of the match, we see The Undertaker throwing Shawn Michaels hard over the top rope onto the floor so hard that his body, his legs and his hip... Uh, make contact with the cell cage before he crashes hard down on the uh, concrete floor. We see uh, the Undertaker whipping Shawn Michaels into the cage, and Michael's body almost slingshots off the cage like he's hitting the ropes, and Undertaker follows through with a vicious clothesline, and that got a pretty pretty good crowd pop. The Undertaker essentially sets up for what looks to be like a powerbomb, But he ends up slamming Shawn Michaels back into the cage a few times. Michaels tries to escape by punching Undertaker in the head a few times. But uh, Undertaker continues through and just thrusts his body like a powerbomb into the cell cage a few times. Um, We continue back and forth eventually. Both competitors get into the match. Um Michaels ends up getting throwing the Undertaker onto the floor. Michaels hits the ropes and does like a torpedo through the middle and the top rope uh, towards the Undertaker and his body kind of like lands hard into the cage before he, or after he hits Undertaker. Um and Undertaker drops down hard to the floor. Cool spot to see. Michaels ends up climbing the inside of the cage about a third of the way up, maybe almost halfway up. And ends up jumping off of there and dropping a hard elbow onto the Undertaker, onto the floor. Michaels uh, then starts to set up the Undertaker with some steel steps. And ends up picking up the top set of steel steps and throws them down onto the Undertaker's back. And then we see one of the most vicious looking pile drivers. This would make Jerry Lawler blush, I'm sure where Shawn Michaels uh, gave the Undertaker a pile driver on the bottom portion of the position steps, and the thud that you hear when Michaels' body and Undertaker's head come crashing down on those steps, it was just an absolute, absolute gross-sounding spot. Um, Eventually, uh, we get uh, Michaels uh, grabbing a chair, Uh, and um, ends up using this chair. It's a black chair, slams it into Taker's back a few times. Eventually, the competitors get uh, get their way back into the ring itself. And then we see a unique uh, homage to Andre the Giant, where the Undertaker ends up getting both of his arms trapped into the ropes, trapped so that he can't escape. Michaels ends up running the opposite ropes, charging the Undertaker, and Undertaker lifts up his big boot. And uh, basically punts uh, Michaels into the face. Uh, Michaels attempts to go uh, hit the ropes again a second time, but Undertaker was able to free his arms, and then he back but ba- gets uh, back body drop. Undertaker back body drop. Shawn Michaels over the top rope onto the floor. And the unique thing about this back body drop onto the floor is that Michaels going over the top ends up landing. On a cameraman who was in there taping the match and and ends up we get a flurry of weird camera shots because of the fact that the cameraman is knocked down. And then whether it was planned or whether it was shoot, we see Shawn Michaels very visibly and verbally upset with that cameraman for being in the way of that spot. And it ends up, he attacks the cameraman ends up punching him and starts stomping him on the floor. Uh, just completely beats up the cameraman um, as the cameraman's on the floor michaels ends up uh dragging the cameraman over towards the cage side where the door is and we actually hear a photographer who's also inside of the ring taking pictures for i'm assuming would be wwf magazine you know yelling to the external cameraman hey we need some help we need somebody to get down here so we've got the internal cameraman down we've got the photographer attending to that camera guy action back into the ring We see Michaels uh, ends up doing his uh, diving forearm after hitting the ropes, running back and forth on the ropes. He does that forearm-like clothesline, and then he ends up doing his little kip-up. Undertaker is prone in the middle of the ring. Michaels jumps off the top rope, does his patented elbow and here we see why the original cage was eventually updated for a much taller ceiling Um, because as michaels jumps off the top rope to do his elbow he's maybe got about six eight inches of head clearance room before he hits the top of the cage so eventually there ended up being a a hell in the cell cage upgrade and this his elbow off the top rope as you can see why they ended up raising the roof on the cage Uh, So after the elbow off the top rope, Michaels uh, sets up for his super kick, his sweet chin music. He winds up the band. He does a big super kick on The Undertaker, and almost immediately Undertaker completely sits up from the dead and starts going after Michaels, no-selling the big finishing maneuver. Michaels in a frantic tries to escape. Now during this time where the sweet chin music maneuver is being set up, We see Commissioner Slaughter come down to ringside and orders the referee to open up the cage so that he can go in and help out the camera guy that was beat up by Shawn Michaels. So as the cage door is open... We see uh, Shawn Michaels escape. Undertaker ends up following Shawn Michaels, and then we get the infamous brawl on the floor. The brawl on the floor that leads to a double-leg slingshot that Undertaker does onto Shawn Michaels, where he slingshots Michaels into the cage, and Michaels, as a result of hitting the cage, gets busted open. My only frustration with this match is, is that if you go back and look, you can see Michaels with his gig blading his forehead like crazy right before he's about to be slingshot into the cage. Um, Other than that, I mean, this match was just an absolute amazing, amazing set of storytelling. So Michaels is bleeding as a result of being slingshot into the cage. Um, You actually see at one point Michaels drops his blade, his gig, into his tights. After he continues to brawl with The Undertaker, Uh, Undertaker picks up Michaels and does a a snake eyes like javelin into the cage itself and uh, continue the the bloodshed and working on the wound that's on Michaels' uh, forehead. So Michaels, in a method to try to escape the carnage from The Undertaker, uh, begins to crawl the cage, and you don't see too much of a struggle between Michaels and The Undertaker climbing to the top of the cage, but later in future incarnations of the match, we end up seeing leg holes that are cut out or footrests, I should say, to make it easier for competitors to climb to the top of the cage. And the little bits of struggle that The Undertaker had was likely the justification for eventually cutting the holes into the cage. Later down the road, the Mankind match against The Undertaker is why they ended up cutting those leg holes, because I know Mick Foley struggled a lot trying to get up that cage. So Michaels and Undertaker start brawling uh, at the top of the cage, and here we get a very, very unique uh, situation where the Mo- Shawn Michaels tries to do another pile driver onto the Undertaker onto the top of the cage. But Undertaker blocks it and ends up giving a back body drop to Michaels onto the cage. And when Michaels rolls over to be face looking down towards the ring, blood from his forehead drips through the cage and ends up landing on the internal camera that's peering up. So we see a spattering of blood, which was kind of a cool sight, um, on the camera lens as the camera guy is continuing to follow the action on the top of the cage. Uh, There continues to be uh, movement at the top of the cage. At one point, The Undertaker press slams Michaels on the top of the cage um, onto uh, one of the uh, sections of the cage itself. Michaels tries to scurry away and begins to climb down the cage itself and where Michaels ends up putting his feet on the middle brace section as he's climbing down the cage. Undertaker ends up stomping his hands, and Michaels unfortunately lets go of the cage and ends up doing a free fall from halfway down the cage through the announce table, one of the more memorable spots in the Hell in the Cell, the Shawn Michaels uh, table, flaw, uh, table bump through the, uh, from the cage, middle of the cage to the floor. Eventually, Undertaker gets Michaels back into the ring, and now Michaels, between uh, the continued ring work, his adrenaline, his heart's pumping, the sweat—it looks like Michaels is bleeding buckets of blood. Undertaker choke slam sets up Michaels on the top corner, and ends up doing a second rope twisting choke slam onto Michaels. Gives the high sign that he's gonna do uh, 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 the tombstone pile driver. We eventually get Undertaker going and picking up a blue steel chair. and it seemed to be a very different looking chair than the one that Michael's used on uh, Undertaker's back. And uh, Undertaker just winds up and does a uh, a ten to six top down shot right to the front of Michael's skull and just cracks him over the head. I mean, these chair shots we would never see in today's presentation um after that chair shot all of a sudden the lights dim and we get the infamous kane debut we have the music playing we get the delayed pyro and we get that infamous call from vince mcmahon that's gotta be kane that's gotta be kane and we see kane rip the door off the hinges get into the ring and have a stare down with the undertaker he does his arm raise and he drops his arms and we get the pyro going off in the four posts of the ring Kane does a tombstone pile driver on The Undertaker and then leaves ringside. Uh, uh, Michaels, who was still out from the chair shot from Undertaker, slowly crawls over, drapes an arm over Undertaker's body, and the referee, who was revived after being beat up, uh, ends up doing a very slow one, two, three, and the winner of the match... Shawn Michaels, who is now going to receive a championship match against Bret Hart at Survivor Series.
3: It's, I, I got nothing to add to the breakdown that the educator did. It's just such a great match. You could take the cage out and it's still a great match. And then by adding the Hell in the Cell... These two people, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, decided to have a match with a cage as opposed to using the cage as just like, oh, we got cage. Okay, that's it. We don't have to think of anything or do anything. They created psychology inside and outside the cage, all the spots, everything makes sense. Whereas the Undertaker Mankind one is a car crash. It's just a car crash ass kicking. This was a great match. Of course, the debut of Kane had so much to it and is such a great way to end it's just it's it's so good there's a reason why we're not going to do lengthy discussion we don't have to this is just so good psychology's off the charts it's incredible I, I i can't imagine us any of us going that long without watching it again
0: yeah absolutely it's uh it is an, an amazing amazing match um the chemistry that uh taker and sean have i want to talk about that real quick ask you guys a question for the two of them where do you rank them as far as duos in the ring against each other and what i mean by that is um just think of some of the the great matches over the years that you hear about you always hear about uh flair and steamboat having great chemistry um you know uh dusty and funk you, you, the, these duos that put on these great matches, I guess a, a modern one would be uh, Omega Okada. Where do you think Sean and Taker rank? Because not only did they do this in 97, but they would go ahead and do this 20 years later at, at, at WrestleMania's when you, when you look at their matches, where do you, where do you guys put them?
3: I mean, I think you have to rank them with the people you mentioned beforehand, but the problem is you're not going to think of it right away. There are certain names that come to your mind immediately for that question, and they don't, but as soon as someone brings it up, it's real tough to argue against it.
2: it very much so. Like, you know, when you say Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Undertaker may not necessarily be, in my opinion, the best dance partner that I think Shawn Michaels has had. You can make arguments with Scott Hall and the Razor Ramon character. You can make arguments with Bret Hart and the series of matches he has had with Bret Hart. Um. Also, being barn burners between the WrestleMania, the Survivor Series, uh, in '97, they also had a really good Survivor Series match back in '92, uh, after Bret had just won the world title from Ric Flair, and Shawn Michaels had just won the uh, Intercontinental title from the Bulldogs. So, um, but without a doubt, absolutely on the top of the list. I mean, if if you had a uh, you know. Uh, uh, a, a top four a top three match of dance part or a, a list of dance partners of Shawn michaels and, and having amazing matches with without a doubt undertaker is going to be on that list probably uh, a Shawn michaels mount rushmore would probably be uh undertaker bret hart um probably uh, triple h and i guess the last would be the yeah razor ramon i think that would be his mount rushmore of the big four that he has just had classics with
0: it's just a it's an interesting question because like you said obviously though you wouldn't if someone asked you that just while you're walking down the street and you didn't have any time you wouldn't think oh taker sean but i mean the two wrestlemania matches and this you could consider and say these are three of the best matches ever like storytelling-wise. I mean, I know everyone talks about those Mania matches, just the storyline between them, and, and the long-form story, too, because it happens over time. Right,
2: and that Rumble match in 98, well, where he did get his injury, it's criminally underrated. It was a really good match, and that that spot where he ends up injuring his back, initially, he doesn't really sell it too, too bad, uh, and it's criminally an underrated match, but yeah, without a doubt, the two WrestleManias and then this Hell in the Cell are just the ones that are like the big aha Undertaker, Shawn Michaels showdowns.
0: And to kind of talk about what we talked about earlier, it's amazing to think how much time passed in between this match and then those Mania matches. When we talked about Lufez and going through and changing your style of the match, because even those matches that are later, they rely more on the psychology and the storytelling rather than your your big
3: spots. Right, without a doubt. So we decided number one, so we got to rank pay-per-view
0: so are we yeah, yeah so why don't we just go over the top five matches i mean do we all consider this number without, one? A doubt. without even discussing it I, I think this would be the best match um that we've seen so far so let me just go through isn't that crazy to think about i mean it's just uh let's just go through the top five then what that makes our top five so everyone at home knows so number five Holding on strong is the educator's, uh, you know, personal favorite for the educator. The piece of, the People's Posse versus Camp Cornette at an international incident. Uh, number four, we're going to have the Canadian Stampede 10-man tag match, of course, at Canadian Stampede. Uh, number three is Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog at season's beatings. Number two, hbk versus big daddy cool diesel at good friends better enemies what a great match that was too and number one uh hbk taking on the undertaker of course in the in the hell in the cell match so uh sean michaels part of three of our top five currently
2: that's why they call him the showstopper the main event
0: and then uh brett hart would be um in two of them uh, bulldog bulldogs in three of them as well as crazy as that cool. sounds was not expecting that so why don't we go through our um so w- i think we all agree this is not um uh, we we've, we've gone through 17 of these so let's start it's not one of the bad ones this was actually a pretty easy watch my without opinion. a doubt so not one of the bottom ones
2: definitely probably middle towards upper
0: why don't we start at number eight okay um because that's right in the middle and we'll we'll go from there okay is this better as, as um as uh, great white north which is our number eight on our list. I
3: feel
0: so. Yes. Okay, I do too. Is it better than Mind Games?
2: To me, the only thing that really stands out at Mind Games was the Shawn Michaels spot with Mankind through the table. Uh, I feel that this card delivered a heck of a lot better than that one match. So yes, without a doubt.
0: Educator, does this deliver a better Shawn Michaels table spot? Without (laughs) a (laughs) doubt. Okay. Uh, Would you agree with that, Masked Library? Absolutely. Is this better than number six, In Your House 1, the one we went to? I think so. Yeah. Is this better than number five, Rage in the Cage?
2: I think this cage match yeah. definitely did a lot better than the Bret Hart versus uh, Diesel Cage match. And okay. I think this card was a lot better without a doubt. All
3: right, I got to head out. What? what? I have to head out.
0: All right, I guess we'll, me and Matt will finish it, then. Can you believe he's leaving us right now, Matt? It's all good. Is it better than number four, Seasons Beating?
2: Oh, this is tough because the Seasons Beatings pay-per-view is the one that has the Bret Hart Bulldog match. Uh, seasons Beatings has... Uh, we got Diesel versus Owen Hart. We got Undertaker versus Mabel in that casket match. We also have the Hogpen match itself. Uh, looking back at this, I think this overall as rough as the, the tag title match as the eight man tag was, um, I, I still think that this did deliver better than season's beatings. All right.
0: Is it better than number three, the triple header? Ah, for
2: me, I think this is where the line is divided. I, I, really think the card at triple header and the uniqueness as, as unique as this main event was the uniqueness of all three championships being on the line and that tag match. Uh, I, I think that the triple header was a, a better overall show. We will stop it right there then.
0: Bad blood tops out at number four on our list. Uh, let's just go through the top five. So everyone knows. Uh, number five, Seasons Beatings, which actually is the fifth in your house, is number five on our list as well. Uh, number four is Bad Blood, which is the 18th. Man, we've done 18 of these. 18, baby. Crazy. Uh, number three is the number three uh, in your house, Triple Header. Uh, number two is International Incident, uh, Hot Crowd, of course. Uh, makes that at number two. And the number one, uh, an even hotter crowd, is Canadian Stampede.
2: Without a doubt. Hard to touch those two two shows. All, all of these shows that we've been talking about, Canadian Stampede, International Incident, and this one, super het, big crowds, hot crowds. Um, I just feel that those two, the, the main events combined with the undercard, just delivered a little bit better.
0: Yeah. um, It's what a, what a, uh, for top five pay per views, what a good list in all honesty. Like you even take out the in your house, you know, kind of our, our guidelines where it has to be an in your house show. I mean, fantastic, fantastic, uh, fantastic matches. You could just watch them, pick them up and watch them solo and enjoy them
2: without a doubt. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so Kevin, what'd you think? That's right. He's gone. So, uh, so, so anyways, I think that's going to do it for us. Of course, next week we will be discussing Degeneration generation X in your house. Um, what a, uh, the main event for that one is, uh, Sean Michaels, who will be the world champion, uh, taking on it looks like Ken Shamrock. So what a crazy two months it will be from where we are to where we where obviously where we will be.
2: Injured and taking out taken out of a six man tag to now two months later in the main event for the WWF championship. Crazy how things change.
0: And a lot happening in those two months. Of course, Mr. McMahon. I mean, it's it's gonna be fascinating to see how much more into that attitude era they jumped. So, uh, so, uh, mister, the educator, mister, the educator, no, I said that. So the educator, uh, what do you want to say to everyone? just
2: want to say thank you to everybody who has found us on our new feed. Definitely want you to continue to support the retro network and all of the offerings that they have, uh, on their website. I want to say thank you to my two co-hosts for the time we get to spend and review these shows and uh, relive uh, the action through the wearing of our nostalgia goggles. Uh, Please continue to check our social media accounts out. Take a look at the uh, chances to win in our contest and uh, by all means, uh, send us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Anything you'd like us to possibly consider to include in future uh, future episodes as we are starting to near the close of our in your house uh, chapter.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I just kind of want to say thank you guys for listening to us today. Uh, It was a pleasure to go through and really listen to, or listen, to really go through and watch uh, Bad Blood and to relive the Hell in the Cell match. I mean, just a fantastic, fantastic match that you could just put on and enjoy. Uh, You can follow me, of course, online at Maddie Treats. Um, And yeah, thank you for finding us on the new uh, House Show feed. Of course, search House Show and any one of your podcasts favorite podcast listening, uh, apps, if you will. And we will be there for you. Of course, search the retro network to find all the great content. Um, subscribe to us, subscribe to wizards, uh, subscribe to sequel Quest, And of course, uh, the, the retro network main feed to still get all of the great podcasts as we continue to grow. And finally, uh, find us the house show at TRN house show on Twitter and at T R N House Show on Instagram, uh, follow that to join the contest, uh, win that Rob Schamberger uh, 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 print. It's it's awesome. It's a Stone Cold print. It's amazing. And I'm gonna throw it to Mister Kevin Hellions to take us home. Hi everyone, this is Kevin, and I'm gonna do some Taylor Swift references. It's gonna be sweeter than fiction.
1: Now we got bad blood
0: it's The story of us
1: Now we got bad blood
0: So I'm going to speak now Now
1: we got bad
0: blood I uh, end up
1: uh...
2: I hope everyone's safe and
0: sound.
1: Now we got bad blood.
0: <laughs> i am literally just got through the list of those songs. <laughs>
1: you know, uh,
0: and, and because Kevin left early, look what you made me do.
1: Now we got bad blood.
0: Uh, but hopefully when he hears this, he can shake it
1: off. Now we got bad blood. Um,
0: what other, what other songs are there? I don't know to her at all. what you. other songs <laughs> there are. Uh, Follow him everywhere at Mass Library on uh, everything, I think, uh, except for TikTok. I think he's getting rid of his TikTok. He should get rid of his TikTok. Uh, this is what happens when he leaves me a blank space. Now we got
1: bad blood. Get blood now. Now. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys.
3: I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, family thing came up. I'm, I'm back now to finish up the show, though. Guys? Guys? Oh. I guess it took longer than I thought. Alright, um. Well, since no one's here. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know what used to be mad love. So take a look at what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. "But, Wayne, I'll show you that.